history and the history of mankind. So we thank you that, we're, that you're here with us tonight. Uh, just as uh, um, in passing for announcements, tomorrow, um, after, the ser- after the service is done, tomorrow um, on Saturday morning, we will be doing what is called the Wardless Book. It's a presentation for children, and uh, we want them to, uh, um, to hear what Easter is really all about. So it's a, it's a good way to uh, share with children. And, uh, and people of all ages, really, on how, um, what Chris, or excuse me, Easter is all about. So if you would join us for that, and then Sunday morning is going to be our Resurrection Day celebration. We, we hope that you uh, join us, because it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's 11 o'clock, it's Sunday morning, and um, afterwards, we re- well, during the service, we'll also be incorporating communion. And then afterwards, we'll be having uh, a Resurrection Day dinner, um, so all the food will be provided. So, um, or if you want it, it's more, kind of like a potluck, so if you want to bring something, that's great. Um, so please join us in all the festivities and everything, and uh, Lord willing, uh, everything will go wonderfully awesome. So with that being said, I would like to start with an opening prayer, and then if you have one of these, if you don't, um, this is kind of the order of service. And it kind of, so you can follow along. So we'll be doing, um, after I do the opening prayer, we'll be doing a song. Um, Our brother uh, Chris Bentley will be reading um, some dramatic readings. And then we'll be doing another song. He will again read from Max Licato's 11th Hour. And then another song will be uh, following that. Along with another reading by Chris. And then we'll do another song, love song, by Third Day. And then he'll, fi- he'll finish with his uh, last uh, um, portion of, of the reading. And then we'll be singing um, one more song. And then I'll give just a short message on what the focus of tonight really is. And then we'll have one last special music as an invitation. And when we're done with that, then we'll... Um, have a moment. As you can see, we have a, a cross up here on the stage, and it is symbolic. And it's called, we call this night, the for us, it's, it's Good Friday, but it's a nail it to the cross service. And it'll be an opportunity for you to, to think about something that you may want to um, nail to the cross. It'll be fairly dark, it'll be pretty solemn, and so when we're done with that and the last person has nailed their piece of paper that you have that you can write on there. And by the way, these won't be read in public, so you don't need to put your names on them or anything. But they're a way to express symbolically, and I'll go into that a little bit more in the message as we go through the procession. And once the procession is done, when you finish nailing your, your paper up here, Please exit in front of the stage here and then go around so that there's not people bumping into each other because it will be a little bit darker. And then lastly, when the last person nails their, their, uh, um, their paper up on the cross, the, uh, we will be, end the service with the last seven sayings from the cross. And the last, uh, after I blow out the last candle and the last saying, then we ask that you would, if you're uh, going to leave, that you would leave quietly. Um, we're expecting great things from God, and we pray that, uh, that He'll uh, 
move in a special and an awesome way. And if you want to stay to uh, worship, um, you're welcome to do that as long as you want, as long as the Spirit moves. Um, we're always open to that. Hopefully I've described all that very clearly and, and you will know um, uh, what to do and, and how to do it. So with that being said, let me open in prayer and then we'll go into our first song for the evening. Our Father in heaven, how glorious that you are and hallowed be your name. Your name is above every name and we thank you, Lord, that we can remember. We thank you that we can commemorate what you have done and that you have fulfilled all the prophecies when it comes to this night, the ones that were foretold in the prophets of old, in the Old Testament, that we're looking forward to this day. And even before the foundations of the earth, this was always your plan. Lord, how we thank you that we can be here in worship. Father, we pray that you would be glorified and that you would be um, exalted here, that you would move in an amazing way. We thank you for this night that we can remember what Jesus did. We thank you for sending your Son, your one and only Son, so that we might live. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you. We pray that you would just bless our night of worship and that you would be here, move amongst your people, Father, for your name's sake and for your glory's sake we ask it. In Jesus' holy name, amen.
Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of a parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured himself out to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors.
Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. The centurion came in the middle of the day. The leper and the sinful woman, they came in the middle of a crowd. Zacchaeus was up in a tree, and Matthew threw a party for him. The educated, the powerful, the rejected and the sick, the wealthy and the lonely. Who would have ever assembled such a crew? Different types from different walks of life, some with possessions and some without, but none of them owning anything that they could offer to a holy, righteous God. Uh, their commonality was their uh, spiritual bankruptcy. And yet, they dared to ask for a, a new birth, a second chance, a fresh start, and a clean conscience. And without exception, their requests were honored. And now, tonight, one more beggar comes with a request. Only minutes from the death of them both, he stands before the king. He will ask for crumbs, and he, like the others, will be fully fed, lavishly fed. So let me set the scene. Where Skull's Hill, it's windswept and stony. Who the thief, gaunt and pale. The door of death about to close on his life. His situation is pitiful. He's taking the last step down the, down the spiral staircase of failure. One crime after another. One rejection after another. Lower and lower he's descended until he's reached the bottom. A cross beam and three spikes. He can't hide who he is. He has no clothing to cover his disgrace. There's no fancy jargon, no impressive resume. Just his naked history of failure. He sees Jesus. And earlier he'd mocked the man. When the crowd was first chorusing its criticism, he joined in and sung his part. But now he doesn't mock Jesus. Now, now he studies him. He wonders who this man might be. How strange he thinks. He doesn't resist the nails. He almost invites them. He bears the jests and the insults and yet remains quiet. The thief sees the fresh blood on Jesus' cheek. The crown of thorns scraping against his scalp. He hears the hoarse whisper, Father, forgive them. Why do they want him dead, he wonders. Slowly the thief's curiosity offsets the pain in his body. For a moment he forgets about the, the cramps in his calves and the nails rubbing against the raw bones of his wrists. He begins to feel something inside, some sort of peculiar warmth for this, this stranger, this, this peaceful martyr. There's no anger in his eyes, only tears. The thief looks at a huddle of soldiers throwing dice in the dirt. They're gambling for a ragged robe. He sees the sign above Jesus' head. It's painted with sarcasm, King of the Jews. They mock him as a king. If he were crazy, they would ignore him. If he, if he had no followers, they'd just turn him away. 
if, if he was nothing to fear, they wouldn't kill him. You only kill a king if he has a kingdom. You only kill a king if he has a kingdom. His cracked lips open to speak. But before he can even utter a sound, he's interrupted by the criminal on the other cross. See, he too has been studying Jesus, but studying through the blurred lens of cynicism. So you're the Messiah, huh? Prove it. Save yourself and us too while you're at it. It's an inexplicable dilemma how two people can hear the same words and see the same Savior and one see hope and the other see nothing. Nothing but himself. It was all the first criminal could take. Perhaps the crook who hurled the barb expected the other one to take the cue and hurl a few of his own, but he didn't. No second verse was sung. What the bitter-tongued criminal did hear were words of defense. Don't you fear God? Only minutes before, these same lips had cursed Jesus. Now they're defending him. Every head on the hill lifts to look at this one who spoke on behalf of the Christ. Every angel weeps. Every demon gapes. Who could have imagined this thief thinking of anyone but himself? Who could remember the last time he'd come to someone's aid? But as the last grains of sand trickle through his hourglass, he performs man's noblest act. He speaks on God's behalf. Now, where are those we would expect to defend Jesus? A much more spiritual Peter has abandoned him. A much more educated Pilate has washed his hands of him. A much more loyal mob of countrymen has demanded his death. A much more faithful band of disciples has scattered. When it seems that everyone has turned away, a thief places himself between Jesus and his accusers and speaks on God's behalf. Don't you fear God even when you are dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The soldiers, they look up. The priests, they cease their chattering. Mary wipes her tears and raises her eyes. Nobody had really noticed the fellow, but now everyone looks at him. Perhaps even Jesus looks at him. Perhaps he looks, turns to look at this one who'd spoken when all others had remained silent. Perhaps he fights to focus his eyes on this one who offered this final gesture of love. Perhaps he smiled as this sheep straggled into the fold. For that, in effect, is exactly what the criminal is doing. He's stumbling to safety just as the gate is closing. Lodged in the thief's statement are the two facts anyone needs to recognize in order to come to Jesus. Now listen to them again. We are getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. We are guilty. He's innocent. We are filthy. He's pure. We are wrong. And he is right. He isn't on that cross for his sins. He's on that cross for our sins. And once the thief recognizes this, his request is only natural. 
As he looks into the eyes of his last hope, he makes the same request any Christian has made. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. No stained glass homilies, no excuses, just desperation, just a plea. And at this point, Jesus performs the greatest miracle of the cross. Greater than the darkness, greater than the earthquake, greater than, than the tearing of the temple curtain, greater than the resurrected saints appearing in the streets. Jesus performs the miracle of forgiveness. A sin-soaked criminal is received by a blood-stained Savior. Today, you will be with me in paradise. This is a solemn promise. Only minutes before, the thief was a beggar, nervously squeezing his hat at the castle door, wondering if the king might spare a few crumbs. Suddenly, he's holding the whole pantry. Such is the definition of grace. Somehow 
first time all day there is no noise. The noise subsided when the darkness fell, a, a puzzling midday darkness. No more taunts, no more jokes, no more mocking, no more mockers. One by one the onlookers turned and began their descent. That is all of them except for you and me. We didn't leave. No, we came to learn. And so we lingered in the semi-darkness. And we listened. We listened to the silence. But not so still. That silence was broken by the sounds of the three men on their crosses as they were slowly dying. With their horse Thirsty groans, they groaned every time they, they rolled their head or shifted the weight in their legs. But as the minutes became hours, these groans diminished. And at long last, it seemed the three men were dead. But then he screamed. The back of his head slammed against the sign that bore his name, and he screamed. His scream obliterated the silence. Standing as straight as the nails were permit, he cried as one calling for a lost friend. Eloi! Reflections of the torch flame danced in his wide eyes. My God! pushing upward until his shoulders were higher than his nailed wrists. 
Why have you forsaken me? He shouted a question to the heavens, and you expected heaven to shout one in return. Apparently it did, for the face of Jesus softened, and an afternoon dawn broke as he spoke a final time. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And as, as silently, as, the, as suddenly as the silence was broken, the silence returned. As daylight arrived, understanding remained in the dark, many not fathoming what just took place. But for those who knew the scriptures, there was no darkness, but a dawn of recognition. See, in this moment, Jesus experienced the crushing agony of the Father's judgment, the pain and wrath we deserve to feel for our sins. And yet, even in this moment of utmost pain, Jesus' words fulfill Old Testament prophecy. His question to the heavens, My God, why have you forsaken me, is the first line of Psalm 22. This psalm, written by David nearly a thousand years before, uh, uh, prophesies the moments of, of, of this very moment in time, the details from, from the dividing of his garments to, to the mocking, uh, he trusted in God, let God deliver him, to the very specific, they have pierced my hands and my feet. See, when this psalm was written, crucifixion hadn't been invented yet. These words made little sense until they were fulfilled at the cross. And the psalm ends with the line, He has done it. Those words, He has done it, in Aramaic are translated the same as Jesus' final words, It is finished. Or in Greek, the word tetelestai, which means paid in full. All these, all these words in all their languages, the message is the same. The debt is paid. He has done it. It is finished.
to be with you, I'd do anything. There's no price I would not pay. has ceased. There is no one to mock. The soldiers are busy with the business of cleaning up the dead, and two men have come. Dressed well and meaning well, they are given the body of Jesus, and we are left with the relics of his death. Three nails in a bin, three cross-shaped shadows, a braided crown with scarlet tips. It's crazy, isn't it? I think that this blood is not man's blood, but God's. And unfathomable to think that these nails held our sins to a cross. And just bizarre that, that 
a criminal's prayer was offered and it was answered and that another criminal offered no prayer at all. Absurdities and ironies. The hill of Calvary is nothing if not both. We would have scripted the moment differently. Ask us how God should redeem his world and, and we'll tell you. Uh, white horses, flashing swords, evil flat on its back, and God on his throne. But God on a cross, a split-lipped, puffy-eyed, blood-masked God on a cross, sponge thrust in his face, spear thrust into his side, dice tossed, dice tossed at his feet. No, we would not have written the drama of redemption this way. But we were not asked to. These players and these props were heaven-picked and God-ordained. We are not asked to design the hour, but we have been asked to respond to it. In order for the cross of Christ to be the cross of our lives, we need to bring something to the hill. We've seen what Jesus brought. With scarred hands, he promised forgiveness. Through torn skin, he promised acceptance. He took the path to take us home. He gave us his clean garment for our filthy one. We've seen the things that Jesus brought. Now we ask, what will we bring? We aren't asked to paint the sign or, or carry the nails. We aren't asked to wear the spit or bear the crown, but we are asked to walk the path and leave something at the cross. And we don't have to, of course. Many don't. Many have done what we have done. More minds than ours have read about the cross and better minds than ours have written about it. Many have pondered what Christ left, but few ponder what we might leave, what we must leave. So I urge you to leave something at the cross. We can uh, observe the cross, we can analyze it, we can read about it, but until we leave something there, we haven't embraced the cross. We've seen what Jesus left, his life. Let us leave ours as well. Thank you. 
So I would like to read from the book of Luke of this account. And I want us to focus truly on the thief, the thief on the cross. He's an interesting character, and it's a portrait of something that is most important. In the book of Luke, chapter 23, beginning in verse 39, it reads as following. And one of the criminals who were uh, hanged there was hurling abuse at him, at Jesus, and saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, 
But we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the sun being obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. In another gospel it tells us in Matthew, I believe, and in Mark, that it was torn from the top to the bottom. And this was not just any veil. It was tall. It was thick. It was wide. There was something supernatural going on in addition to all the other things. And then it says, And Jesus was crying out with a loud voice and said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this was, this man was innocent. And all the multitudes who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what was happening, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. This is important because of the fact of what this is telling us, what this is speaking to us, what this is proclaiming. And what it's proclaiming is just rather simple. This is salvation by grace. You see, the the thief was there and he was guilty and he was sentenced to die. And while he was there, In that moment, God did something supernatural. You see, there was this recognition all of a sudden. And we have it right here. The one thief on the one side. And because of what Jesus says about who is on his right hand and who is on his left, I would imagine it was the one on the left. And he was hurling insults at Jesus. And this other thief recognized something was wrong. At that moment, he recognized his own sin. Listen to those words again. We are getting what we deserve. We are being punished for our deeds. This man has done nothing. And he's suffering the same. You see, in that recognition, he was convicted of sin. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin. And this thief in that moment understood that. And he rebuked this other thief right then and right there. He rebuked him. And looking, there was another recognition that came up. And there was a confession When he said that we're getting what we deserve, we're being punished for our deeds, he was confessing his sin right then and there. And then he was recognizing who Jesus was. 
He recognized them when he said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. What was he acknowledging? What was he expressing? He was expressing the very fact that he believed that this Jesus, who was going to die with him, was going to come back in his kingdom. There was something supernatural going on here. There was something beyond what we think or imagine when we're just reading these events. God was busy at work. And think about it. His perfect son, the perfect lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world, who'd never done anything wrong. God saw his son. And as it says in Isaiah, he was pleased to crush him. He was working and doing what God does. He was saving this criminal. And that's important for us to understand. Because he expressed to this thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. You see, he acknowledged this man's confession. And he acknowledged his profession. He was professing that Jesus is the Messiah. And all of a sudden he understood there on the cross. Some people bemoan the fact that some people come to faith at the very end of their life. And some people complain about that. But here this man was. This was the first time that this happened. And it's not the last. I can't tell you of the number of people that I've read about that in their last few days of life that they express this very thing. They know that Jesus is the Christ. They know that Jesus died on the cross. They know that He took their sins. All of a sudden they understand. And they're going to enjoy the glories of our God and King for all eternity just like we are who have already made that decision. But you see, that decision had to be made. He had received Christ by saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, what he was expressing was eternal life. And this eternal life only comes to the cross. And there's no other. The thief on the cross, there was no baptism. The thief on the cross, there was no good work that he could do. There was no work at the temple. There was no work feeding anybody. There was nothing that he could do except repent and express what he had come to know. I'm guilty. I'm a rotten sinner. I deserve this and worse. But at the same time, simultaneously, he recognized here, here, this, this man who's guiltless, this man who's done nothing, here is my hope. Here is the one I can put my hope in. Here's the one that I can call to. He understood there was that supernatural thing going on behind the scenes that oftentimes we don't think about. And that's what it's all about. It's about receiving Him. It's about recognition. Because Jesus said that He was going to send His Holy Spirit after He was ascended, after this whole event had taken place. And that He would convict the world of sin. That's the place where he began. We're guilty. We deserve this. This is what we've earned. And then he professed, Jesus, 
when you return, remember me. That's all he asked. He didn't ask for great things. He didn't ask for a great seat. He didn't ask to be at his right-hand side. He just said, just remember me. That's all I'm asking. And Jesus, being the gracious king that he is, looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. There's a scripture that, that is in John where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says this. He says, let not your heart be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there also you may be. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, there also you may be. That's what he was telling this thief. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You see, because Jesus, he didn't descend into hell. He descended into Hades in the Greek, and it was a compartment where people's souls were, were kept until that day, until three days later. Because you see, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And here, this thief, he didn't get to do anything great. He didn't get to go clean himself up. He didn't get to see himself in a different light. He just received what he understood, the conviction. I'm guilty. Just remember me. And Jesus said, yes, I will. I want to read lastly from the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And I want you to consider this and think about it. We're going to sing a song, and it's called Come As You Are. One of the wonderful things about Christianity is that's what God says. He says, come as you are. And why is that? Well, because you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself worthy. And guess what? You never will. You will never be worthy. Because in order to be worthy on your own works, on your own merits, doing your own things, you will have to have achieved what Jesus did. It would have to be equal or more. And if you don't qualify for that, if you know that you'll never achieve that, then receive Him by faith. Because it says here in Colossians, as it reads as following, in chapter 2, of, uh, verse 13, it says, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. You see, while you're still a transgressor, while you're still guilty, while you're still a sinner, while you're still covered in filth, He has done this. That's what this thief experienced. And then it says, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us. You see, we're indebted to God. And we can't repay Him. So Jesus came to pay a debt that He didn't owe for a debt that we can never pay. And it says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and He was taking it out of the way, having nailed it, to the cross. 
That's what this night is about. It's about the cross. Paul said it this way, I preach Christ crucified. And if what you've grown up with and if what you have believed, if it's not Christ crucified, then I fear for you. Because that's what it's all about, that night on that cross. Is your name, is that certificate of debt canceled out for you? It's a question you have to answer. I hope that you answer it tonight. You have the opportunity to do that, to receive him by faith. Like like the thief. I'm guilty. I deserve your judgment. I deserve punishment. But then he says, And when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This is the only freedom that we can ever know, is Christ crucified. Do you know him? Do you desire to know him? You can know him. You can know him tonight. Maybe you already know him. Maybe you've been slacking. Maybe you're a slacker like me. And you need forgiveness. And you need to be reminded of the cross as often as possible. The cross is still as important today as it was. The cross is still as important as the prophets that spoke of it from of old, before it was even put into practice. It's still as important. It's the most important. And that's why we commemorate this night. It's the night that changed an entire world. This wasn't an accident. This was predestined. This was foreordained. This was foretold from of old. This is what God's plan was before the foundations of the world. This very year was planned. The very month in which it took place. The very day on which it took place. The very hour, the very minute, the very second was all preordained. And it worked itself out exactly as God has planned. Jesus died. The question is, did he die for your sin? You see, Jesus didn't just die to make it possible that you might be saved. He came to secure salvation for those who are his. And that's the question. Are you his? Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Receive him. It's simple. Repent of your sins. Confess them like the thief. And receive him. Remember me. Forgive me. Make me new. That's all. It's all by faith. It's all supernatural. And if you're being moved to do that, that's what this cross is about. That's what those pieces of papers are for. And maybe you already know him, and maybe you're struggling with something. You can nail that to the cross as well. It's symbolic. But like Chris had read earlier in what he was speaking, leave something at the cross. I hope it's yourself. I hope that certificate gets canceled out tonight because there's nothing more freeing than knowing that. And that's what this night is about, the night that changed a darkened, sinful world, a night that hope was born, 
The enemy thought that he had won. The demons were rejoicing. You see, they didn't know that it was Friday, and it's only Friday. They didn't know that Sunday was coming. And you can know that and rejoice in that too. Just receive him. Nail whatever you're struggling with to the cross. Envy, hatred, bitterness, anxiety, fear. You know, as, I, as, you, as I've read this, this, uh, this morning, and one of the things I came across is, is that it's, a, it's almost as if the Bible is saying that it's a sin to not believe that Jesus is the Christ and that only He can forgive you. Because if you don't believe that, and if you're going to try to do it any other way, you're going to wear yourself out because it can't be done. Only Jesus can save you. Trust in Him. His forgiveness is wonderful. It's not temporary, y'all. His forgiveness is permanent for all eternity. There's a reason why we're called the redeemed. It's past tense. And you can be part of that too. When we're done with the song, or during the song if you'd like, please begin the procession.
forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am thirsty. John 19.28 Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46. That brings us to the end of the service. I'd like to stay in worship. Please feel free to do so. God has put that on your heart. If you received Christ tonight, please speak with myself, Carrie.